you've discovered TalkZone.com, the best in Internet talk radio. TalkZone.com. It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of healthcare each and every day. That's the fact, Jack! Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. What breaks the front cover of today's American Medical Association news? Medical schools urged to teach about obesity. You know, after all, two out of three Americans overweight or obese. Perhaps we waited too long. Well, he is a clinical nutritionist, medical herbalist of just uncommon knowledge. Uh, I was fascinated the first time he joined us to talk about his book, Herbal Medicine, Healing and Cancer. I have literally given that book to so many people. He joins us again because he just did an amazing presentation about a revolutionary holistic approach to prostate cancer featuring applications for botanical. We're talking about plant-based medicine and nutritional medicine. Donnie Yance joining us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Well, the benefits of antioxidants are many. Most of us would think, oh, antioxidants, you know, those are the uh, unique nutritional elements that we find particularly in fruits and vegetables and chocolate and beans, red wine and tea um, that can help keep those bad guys, those free radicals at bay. Well, yes, they do that. But now according to new research coming out of uh, one of Taiwan's major universities, they may do more. A professor in the Department of Food Science there at a Taiwanese university now reports that the benefits of antioxidants found in many fruits, vegetables, nuts, tea, wine, beans, include tinkering with fat cells in a way that can actually help curb obesity and help the heart. Yes, antioxidants might fight fat. What this new study shows, that at least in the laboratory, in vitro, that antioxidants called flavonoids and phenolic acids, these are the ones that particularly we find in green tea, red wine, uh, grapes, uh, chocolate, tweak fat cells. That these antioxidants don't kill fat cells, they don't slash the number of fat cells. Instead, they make fat cells cut their production of triglycerides. And triglycerides is a heart hazard. The antioxidants did that by curbing an enzyme needed to make triglycerides. And what they found is that particular enzyme was most effectively reduced by the phenolic uh, uh, acid uh, cumaric acid and the flavonoid rutin. So it will take more work. Code word, we need more money for more study to find out if fat cells and antioxidants behave the same way in vivo. In other words, in the human body. Meanwhile, of course, uh, reams of research support eating a healthy diet rich in produce for so many reasons. All of this published in the Journal of Agricultural and Food 
chemistry. Interesting indeed that antioxidants might fight fat. And of course, uh, the interesting corollary is to that. If we eat a nutrient-dense diet, rich in deeply colored fresh fruits and vegetables. I think of Dr. David Heber's uh, Eat Your Colors. I think of Dr. Jim Joseph's The Color Code book, talking about what's behind the science of these deeply colored fruits and vegetables that make them so good for us. If we eat those nutrients, we get uh, optimal nutrition, which um, really shelves us eating additional calories because we're optimally nourished. Well, she's a health columnist for U.S. News and World Report, the former uh, director of the National Institute of Health, Dr. Bernadine Healy. And what she says, despite a slew of studies showing the senior mind loses to younger ones in most fields, old minds still win in a few specialized categories. That why mental aging begins in the 20s, it's usually not evident until you're in your 7th or 8th decade that we now find that mathematical and verbal abilities stay constant whether you're in your 20s or your 80s. Isn't that amazing? And that areas of expertise such as chess or musical instrument also survive the ravages of time. But seniors are better at keeping their emotions on an even keel. They also beat younger adults when scientists test the ability to make tricky life choices like resolving conflicts, setting priorities, handling ambiguity that seniors really do have more wisdom, according to Dr. Bernadine Healy in U.S. News and World Report. Well, it has been identified in two-year-olds as well as 40-some-year-olds in this country, fatty liver, and now in the November issue of the journal Hepatology, a journal all about liver health, uh, new research indicating that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD for short, which is a condition related to insulin resistance and obesity, is related to a high-fat diet. And we now see fatty liver, which sets the stage for more inflammation of the liver, hepatitis, and more liver cancer. So John Hopkins University has sought to determine the role of certain of these inflammatory chemicals in the disease progression of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, fancy word for liver uh, fatty liver. And of course we know insulin resistance, fatty liver, more uh, liver uh, inflammation, more liver cancer, all associated with a high-fat diet. And I guess more properly they should say high-bad-fat diet because it takes more of the good fats, those we find with a balance of the omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids, and with 90% of Americans omega-3 fatty acid deficient, we could use a little more of those that we find in plant sources like flax, ground flax, in nuts like walnuts, in cold water fish, 
or from other sea vegetable sources with a high-fat diet associated with liver injury. Well, it's researchers from Wake Forest University in North Carolina quizzing over 4,000 students about their drinking habits. Interestingly, they found that people who drink those energy drink cocktails, those uh, uh, drinks that are sources of the, you know, the the, the power, the souped-up, uh, you know, the, the energy drinks, along with alcohol, were twice as likely to end up harmed suffering injuries requiring medical help or getting into trouble than those who drank simply alcoholic beverages. These energy drinks typically contain high levels of caffeine, other stimulants including ginseng, and they become very popular. So I guess the take-home message is, is that energy alcohol mixes actually harm the risk in terms of uh, what happens after you begin to consume these alcoholic beverages, as uh, college students are often want to do. So just keep in mind, young people who mix energy drinks, these energy drinks, of course, uh, rich in caffeine and other stimulants along with alcohol, are twice as likely to end up harmed as those who just drink alcohol. Well, it was just an intriguing article. In the health section of today's L.A. Times, a professor of medicine and media and the director of the Opera of the Future group at the MIT Media Laboratory has been taking a look at composing music with a specialized computer system called HyperScore. And it's all about, in fact, uh, we're going to have neurologist Dr. Oliver Sachs uh, join us to talk about his latest book, Musicophilia. Tales of Music and the Brain. There's something about the human brain hardwired that music can soothe and awe and as well help us heal. In fact, some of these computer programs are now tapping into the brain's ability to process music using songs and sounds in novel ways as healing elements. Music. Just interesting indeed when I think back to my undergraduate days with a, a roommate who was actually a, a music therapy major, certainly coming full circle. We're going to return to talk with a noted clinical nutritionist, medical herbalist, author, Donnie Yance, joining us today to talk about a revolutionary holistic approach to prostate cancer. We invite you to join us at 800-307-3002 with Donnie Yance on Healthy Talk Radio. A vital part of your daily health regimen, vitamins, supplements, and Deborah Ray. I discovered one of his books, so gosh, about seven years ago and have shared that book with so many people. And uh, a suggestion by a listener 
who has been fascinated by his continuing work, brings him to us uh, again today. That book uh, that I have mentioned so many times on the air is Herbal Medicine, Healing and Cancer. And the author behind it, uh, as well as a certified nutritionist and clinical master herbalist of just uncommon ability, joins us today to talk about his unique, integrative, holistic approaches to chronic conditions, chronic conditions that include a very sobering, life-threatening diagnosis like cancer. In fact, uh, they were kind enough to send me the presentation behind one of his uh, recent uh, uh, presentations uh, about prostate cancer, uh, as well as heart disease and other chronic conditions. He is the founder and chief practitioner of the Center for Natural Healing, the founder of the Mederi uh, Foundation, M-E-D-E-R-I, which is seeking to, to make a difference to conduct clinical research and professional education on a very unique healing model that is referred to as the eclectic. Eclectic medicine has a very interesting history. That's all about using from all modalities to, to, to use what works. Eclectic triphasic medical system. We are delighted and honored to have a unique practitioner, uh, author, Donnie Yance, uh, join us today to talk about this eclectic triphasic medical system. Uh, Donnie Yance joining us today. Donnie, hello and welcome. Thank you very much. Hello to you as well. So tell us your story. Obviously, this is much more than just what you do nine to five. Uh, this is is quite a passion that has encompassed so much work uh, from what you have written about, what you offer clinically. Of course, you go beyond that in terms of a product formulation. Now the foundation. Tell us your story, Donnie. Boy, I don't know where to start. I could say that <laughs> I've, I've been in. Uh, you know, I've I've been in this field of of healing for quite some time. I'd say by the time I was about 17 years old, I was already working in a natural food store back in the mid-later mid half of the 70s. Uh-huh. And um, then I went on to managing natural food stores and besides spending, oh, about two and a half years in a Franciscan monastery and then running a soup kitchen and shelter for a little while after that, I got right back into this field and and I've never left it and feel that this is this is my calling in life. This is this is like a mission. This is uh this is something that um is is as much as when I was living in the monastery doing what I think is is, is a is is based upon my relationship with God first and foremost, um and and this is it and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and my love for Working with people, working with plants, and and making those connections just keeps growing and growing, and um, and it, it, it's just the last year it's really exploded for me. So many things have become so much clearer to me, and I'd say that I'm, besides working this field, I'm a jazz musician, and I I see so much of what I do musically speaking, and being a jazz musician, there's a lot of improvisation that goes on, so. Part of the frustration for me has been, well, how do I articulate all of this and share it with the masses so that people, you know, can can grasp what I'm doing? And so that's how I started to formulate a system of medicine, which now I teach, and we teach it through my foundation called Madiri, and um, we just did a six-day intensive in 
in integrative holistic oncology, of which 13 doctors attended that, which went so well. I mean, it was beyond my belief of what is possible because now many of those doctors, including some oncologists, have embraced my system. They're putting it into practice, and I'm seeing, you know, the, the... you know the successes because of that, and you know every you know every week. Last week, I got um, sent to me three different case studies where the system was put into place and the outcome, and how how quickly some even advanced cases of, of cancer have turned around based on this you know on this approach. Just last week, I was speaking uh, with, with with somebody who teaches at our local medical school here at the University of South Florida, and with today's American Medical Association news, uh, the the title article talking about medical school uh, considering teaching about obesity, and uh, this uh, medical school professor saying, "Gee, our medical school doesn't have a single class in nutrition." Tie the dots in terms of lifestyle chronic conditions and how this unique eclectic medical system um, has so much to offer to so many, Donnie. Yeah, and I, I can give you, I mean, it's a very, very deep system, and uh, but it could be explained very quickly. And, and the reason why it's called a uh, triphasic is because there's three main branches. And even within those branches, they keep um, you, they keep breaking out into threes very often. Each branch does, but the three main branches. Branch number one is what I call the human being, and so that is looking at an endogenous component, the personal energetic processes in that person, the core constitution, uh, understanding that that person is made up of spirit, mind, and body, and so we we also look at those those aspects three as well, mm-hmm. evaluating from a, a more energetic perspective, you know, constantly building, which all traditional medicine knew, constantly building, you know, vital energy, you know, which uh, uh, and also building, um, you know, just their their uh, adaptability as well, you know, sure. uh, structuring things based on how do I strengthen the person, regardless of what they have wrong, mm-hmm. how do I put some of my medicine and some of my attention into making the person healthier and stronger. And there's nothing, besides there not being any courses in nutrition in the medical, there's nothing that even addresses that. There's no such thing as what do we do to make the person stronger. So the first part of my system is how do we make a person healthier and stronger, despite the, the fact is that they might have a disease as well. And there are three energies within the human being, one I call vital essence, which is a way of assessing the neuroendocrine and endocrine system, so it's the hormonal energy of the person. The second is the vital force, which is how well energy is created by the food one eats and the air they breathe, how well that transfers into cellular energy. And the third I call the vital spirit, which is how much is God emanating in their being and reflecting in that. And and, and those are the three energies there. Now, the second branch I call the external environment which is an exogenous component. It's all the external factors that might have contributed to disease, might might have them in the place that they're in. They can be psychological, they can be physical, they can be environmental, they can be geographical. And so it's, it's the person's relationship with everything around them. For example, if someone has bladder cancer and we test their well water and they had high levels of arsenic, well, that's an external thing that caused their cancer. There's a, there's a direct correlation between arsenic ingestion and bladder cancer. So we need to look at those those factors if we're going to
biological characteristics of the intercellular and extracellular terrain, which is a way of looking at polymorphisms and, and doing a whole elaborate analytical assay on one's blood, looking at, at coagulation, coagulation markers, looking at inflammatory markers, and, and looking at, at um, uh, like I said, polymorphisms, seeing if there's any abnormalities in, in their you know, either hereditary gene, gene pool or acquired um, abnormalities. Then we also look at the pathology. If someone has a tumor, I don't care if it's a breast tumor, if it's a colon tumor, whatever it is, there is a way that we can deeper assess that cancer as an energy. We can look at what, what mutations there might be that are causing it, what growth factors are upregulated, and we can start to target that. And so I call it, you know, that that third branch I actually call um, Sherlock's Corner, based on Sherlock's poem, and I, and I show in a pie diagram all the ways to actually assess a person, and then you start to target those things. And so in my, in my system, if you start to make the person healthier and stronger, with a big focus on, on botanical and nutritional medicine to do that, you look at their factors that might be contributing. Donnie, hold that, that thought. We won't want to miss a minute with Donnie Yance joining us on Healthy Talk Radio. Warning, Healthy Talk Radio presents revolutionary information that could cause facial tics and foaming at the mouth, but it's backed up by documented research and presented by credentialed guests. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors. But hey, it's not like they went to medical school. I'm Deborah Ray. Joining us today on Healthy Talk Radio is a, a very special guest. We're honored to have a unique practitioner, both as a clinical master herbalist and certified uh, nutritionist, uh, but opinion leader and educator, making a difference as the founder and president of the Medeiri, M-E-D-E-R-I Foundation. And we'll give you some websites if you want more information about the work that brings Donnie Yance to us today. This eclectic triphasic medical system, making a difference in clinicians' education, in case histories, in terms of patient treatment. And you mentioned energy of tumors. And given the fact that we continue to read, um, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Dr. Larry Dossey's uh, most recent book, talking about a paradigm shift in medicine to energy medicine. Help us to understand that further, Donnie. Well, I actually identify cancer as energy. And um, just like we're an energy, cancer is an energy too, and and its energy is 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 objective is to take over our energy. So we identify as many things that we can that makes up a cancer energy. For example, metabolism. You know, cancer's energy is more glycolytic. They they use seventy percent to up to a hundred percent of their energy is derived from glucose. You know, they're the main byproduct of, of you know of a, a cancer cell is lactate and peruvic acid. And so in a, in a normal cell, it's 70% is oxygen, you know, run through the Krebs cycle. And then the, the metabolic waste material of that, you know, carbon dioxide. So we, you know, we separate differences between us and cancer because cancer keeps trying to change it. So we have identified those things in the cancer energy. And there's lots of things. You can run a carbonic anhydrolase 9 test. And you can see if the cancer is 100% glycolytic, meaning that they're not using any oxygen anymore. And that tells us a lot of things. First of all, it tells us if someone is considering radiation therapy that it most likely is not going to work because how is radiation work, but it's destructive through oxidative processes. So if the cancer cells have adapted themselves to not needing oxygen, 
therefore they'll be radio insensitive and your you know your cost to benefit ratio of doing that type of treatment is going to cost you more than any benefit you might get out of it and that's how I explain everything to people everything has to be looked at as a what is the cost to benefit ratio and in my system it's not that it's a system that is designed to to just be a standalone system or a system that is to be a complementary system, but it's a system that actually conventional medicine can fit itself into. So it's not that I say no to that, but we try to, to use that in a more intellectual way. We try to say, well, let's, let's do all our homework, let's set our protocol up, and let's see if we need and what is best suited in the allopathic world that can best help us right now. And maybe we need to do chemosensitivity testing. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to do growth factor testing. And what I what I tend to like to do is if we need any drug therapy, I use the least amount and I like to I like to use targeted therapy and use it in combination. I mean everybody's afraid that, you know, natural medicine actually is um, interferes with with allopathic <laughs> medicine. And it does interfere, but it interferes in a positive way. Right. It does everything positive. And I love this quote, and this is a quote you should always have, uh-huh. because this quote is so meaningful when it comes to botanical and nutritional medicine and even dietary medicine. But it's a Sherlock Holmes quote, and it says, I have no data yet. It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories instead of theories to suit facts. And this is what's done all over the place in natural medicine. There's a theory that that these substances have all of a sudden been given this term, antioxidant, and theoretically that means they'd be conflicting with medicine, with no data. And they did it all. They do it all the time. I mean, we go all the way back to when they told people with with heart disease to stop eating eggs and to start to use margarine. I mean, where did that come from? I mean, there was no data that eating eggs was problematic to heart disease. It was based on theory, you know, and yet eating margarine, you know, was a poison, and they told people to do that instead of butter. So this is something that's constantly done, theorized, and I'm a tremendous researcher besides everything else. I mean, I, I have so much data, more data than anybody probably in the world right now on on cancer and on heart disease, and I just collect it and collect it, and I, I write articles on it. For example, surgery can potentially spread cancer. So I don't say yes or no. I just want people to be aware of that, right. and there's tons of data that supports that, and I can explain all why that is. But, you know, and it's not the fact that you don't do it. It's just that you want to think everything through. Right. Is this, right. again, the best thing for me to do in this moment? You know, and I like to set everybody up systemically because cancer is a systemic disease first and then if you need surgery then it it comes later it doesn't come as the first part of treatment that's all part of the eclectic triphasic medical system which we plan in uh, January to start documenting we're going to write up at least 50 of my cases success cases um, with all with everything you know before the whole history of all these patients and probably many other physicians now that are writing, you know, giving me their cases, document that, submit some of these to NIH, and we hope, I hope by the end of next year to be doing a clinical trial, and I'm picking pancreatic cancer because uh, the two-year survival rate now is about 5%. Yeah. 
And I know I can do better than 50% if people do my system the way it is. So if I can prove that, if I can take 20, 30 patients and actually do that with, with a major institution, I think it will, you know, will definitely be the start of changes. And that's our, you know, that's our objective as a, as a organization, Madeira. And I hope in two years from now to be building a medical center here that is a treatment center, a research center, and an education center. Mm, how brilliant, how brilliant. Now, back to the, the vital essence, the vital force, and the vital spirit uh, for just a moment, uh, uh, Donnie, because we think in terms of some of the more common forms of cancer, uh, prostate, uh, breast cancer, as hormonally driven. And we've read recently um, a lot of downsides, back to your risk-to-benefit ratio of, uh, for example, suppressing hormones, the androgen deprivation therapy for prostate cancer, um, have some, you know, perhaps some some risks that outweigh the benefits. Your insight here, please. Oh, completely. I mean, especially you look at you know men, you know, in their 70s and 80s, you know, putting on hormone blockage therapy because they have a a very methodical, slow-moving cancer. And yes, the the you know, what are the risk factors? Well, you have heart disease. You have increased risk of stroke, thrombolytic disease. You have obesity. Now you have, you know, insulin resistance because all the testosterone is down and that's a direct cause. And low testosterone is linked to diabetes, to depression, to heart disease. I mean, you name it and it's, and it's there. You have bone loss. You have depression. You know, it, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and so, and, and yet, is, is that going to help? Everything you do has to have, do have two objectives. Are we helping people live healthier and are we helping them live longer? And many things like, you know, hormone blockage therapy, mm-hmm. in the majority of cases, not all cases, that, that neither one is happening. You're not helping someone live better. I think nobody would argue that point. And the fact is that many of the time you're not helping them live longer. If they develop a disease related to hormone blockage therapy and die of that disease, when probably if their prostate cancer was just left alone, you know, it would take, you know, 10, 15, 20 years because the majority of prostate cancer is very, very slow and methodical. Now, there are more aggressive forms, and part of my system is identifying those aggressive forms. Mm-hmm. But when you do hormone blockage therapy, the other risk that you have is that you have a, a potential, which is going to happen, it's just a matter of time, mm-hmm. of what's called refractory prostate cancer, where it actually is now a non-hormonal-driven cancer. And besides, if testosterone was such a major player in prostate cancer, then men at a very young age would be getting sure. uh, prostate cancer. When in fact, older men are getting it. The older, you know, the longer you live, the, the more of a chance you have of getting it. And men's testosterone levels are going down as they get older. And if you look, if you assess as many people as I do, as many as men as I do, as most of them who have prostate cancer actually have low testosterone. Hmm. Now, some of them have higher levels of a byproduct of testosterone called dihydrotestosterone, which both causes benign prostatic hypertrophy and can be a, a causative factor to prostate cancer. But the whole thing of prostate cancer, you know, there's so many contributing factors. And, again, botanical and nutritional medicine can really target multiple things. You know, you can have, you know, various, you can have a polymorphism in, you know, what's called a folic acid pathway where you sure. don't vitamin D, you know, right. a major player of, right. of possibly 
um, contributing, you know, greatly to the increased risk of developing prostate cancer as well as other cancers. And these things are finally, you know, low levels of carotenoids in the body. You know, just the, you know, the list goes on and on. And botanical medicine is so well suited to treat that, you know, in many cases without anything else, you know, needed. Sure, um, sure. Now, you know, a vital force. Speaking of, of food, thinking, you know, speaking of you know, making a person healthier. Um, <laughs> You know, we tend to, to one, be a nation of extremes. <laughs> Two, yeah. to, you know, conventional medicine pretty much have, and you already alluded to that cookbook approach. If you've got this, then, then we yeah. give that. <laughs> so yeah. what about, uh, you know, individuality when it comes to nutrition? You've alluded to the fact that, you know, our genes build the closet. It's up to us how we fill the closet. Uh, do each one of us have unique nutritional needs in terms of what makes us healthier, Donnie? Yeah. Well, in that, in the tri- in the eclectic triphasic medical system, there's many factors you take in for setting somebody up just on their dietary program. You know, for example, again, you look at their energetic makeup. You know, where are their weaknesses? So if their weaknesses are in their hormonal endocrine system, mm-hmm. we can break that down. If somebody has, for example, low testosterone, there's foods that actually help with that, and some of them are older foods that we knew about, things like mussels and clams. We know that those things are more more what we call in Chinese medicine kidney yang enhancing foods. You know, so we want to replenish essence. There's black sesame seeds. There's walnuts that help replenish essence. You know, you have things like royal jelly and colostrum that replenish essence. You know, you have you know you have all these lists of foods that are just you know wonderful for for enhancing the kidney essence. But then some of your foods can be considered foods protective against various forms of cancer or heart disease. Then another thing can be that that second branch is what we call the exogenous environment. So in other words, if someone lives up in the northern part of America and it's the winter time, their diet should be different than if they're in Florida or it's the summertime. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there are many factors that go into setting up the diet and based on my system. You know, it's not any one thing. It's like, you right. know you know, the age of the person. Let's say if someone's been on chemotherapy and they're incredibly anemic. Well, mm-hmm. they need more blood-building foods then. You know, they need to eat more protein, more eggs, maybe even lamb and things like that, whereas if, they, if their blood counts are very normal, they don't need those kind of foods as much. And again, that, that you know, meat can be, you know, excess meat can be a, a contributor to cancer, certain cancers spreading. So we would want to curtail the meat intake at, at a certain point. But when someone's incredibly blood deficient, they need more of those foods. So... You know, some of it's common sense, but a lot of people don't actually have that. <laughs> you know? well, I'm sure if you take a look at what's... I mean, especially what's... in the medical field. You know, there isn't <laughs> especially a lot in the of... hospitals. <laughs> you yeah. look at those trays and you think, That's oh, right. my goodness, there's no common sense there, Donnie. <laughs> you know, and then they, and then they, you know, it seems like there's just, again, this, this, this thing like, oh, my gosh, you know, conventional doctors are telling their prostate cancer, breast cancer patients to avoid soy. Right. But yet they don't care about anything refined. You can eat all the candy you want, all the you know all the sugary foods, all you know all the the white flour foods and and foods filled you know non organic foods, all that. But they pick on soy because of a theoretical thing. You know, soy has quote unquote phytoestrogens, therefore they should be avoided. And yet, ninety nine point nine percent of the data shows that those foods have protection against those cancers. And 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 it's just a manipulation of you know of, of and I just it just drives me crazy and I'm 
not I'm not saying that eating soy foods is going to make you or break you if you have cancer one way or the other. But you know, I just get tired of the fact that they're so picked on. You know, without you know, without there being a lot of you know a lot of supportive data behind that. Absolutely, absolutely. And yet many other foods are not are, are you know are completely you know um, avoided as far as as whether t- telling a cancer patient whether they should you know avoid them or not. What about um, you know the the emerging suggestion that inflammation is an important risk factor for cancer, mm-hmm. and foods like curry, for example, that are that are, are known anti-inflammatory can be part of the healing process as well, Donnie. Sure. Well, part of that whole assessment of looking at at you know the way I work somebody up is is running inflammatory pathway markers. Oh, okay. You can okay. run a, a C-reactive protein right. for, as a basis one. You know, mm-hmm. traditionally said rates are, are run for many cancers, actually, particularly lymphomas, multiple myeloma. I mean, the inflammatory um, markers are the most important markers for for even in standard medicine for those cancers. But Donnie, hold that thought. Actual- we don't want. I'm-